the strongest person I know, that is the strongest person I know. And one day when he had to go to the hospital, he refused to go because he knew if he went, he might not come out. And you actually saw him being afraid. And I realized how connected to my father I was when he started freaking out on my sister and started yelling about not wanting to go to the hospital because we was calling the ambulance outside of his his authority to. And I just thought, man, like he's scared of something. And immediately I felt weak. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Samuel Burwell. Welcome to the podcast, Samuel. Hey, Ronit, how you doing? I'm good. How's it going over there in Pennsylvania? Uh, very good. Uh, today's actually a chill day, and we're so used to it being warm, getting a little nervous now. But other than that, it's pretty good. <laughs> We found each other on Instagram, actually, which has been so amazing because I see your posts all the time for Diamond Mine results, and you're so busy, plus you're a father of two. Um, you're, you have boys, right? Yes. Um, I have two boys. Josiah is six years old. He'll be turning seven in January, and Roman is three years old, and he'll be turning four in uh, January as well. Yeah, so you're, you've got your hands full. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> a lot. Most of that is most of that is from. Uh, listen, if my wife hears this podcast, I have to make sure I say that most of it is honestly on her. Like she's a big reason why I'm able to do anything as an entrepreneur or, or anything at all. She she actually stays home with the boys and oh, wow. does homeschooling with them and everything. And she's actually in school herself um, to be in the medical field. So she does carry a lot of that with the boys at home. Wow, I don't know how she does it because when you have a job and actual deadlines and things you have to do while you're trying to help your kids go through this Zoom time and remote school, it's really challenging. Most of our time, it, it comes towards the later end of the evening when the children are asleep. So it, it can, like, it could take a toll because now, like for me, most days, let's say I work anywhere between 12 to 15 hours a day. Mm -hmm. Then when I come home, I had to give my family that same respect. Um, one of the one of the things that I really love, Kobe Bryant, he said that regardless of how many games he played, he would go on the road and do two or three games, and then he would have to come home and he would be tired. He he played the home game, traveled on the airplane, did two other games, traveled, came back home. But his daughters, they weren't concerned about him playing basketball. They wanted to see their father, so he couldn't really fall asleep and do what he really wanted to do because the family still needed him. So even after everything he did, he still had to come home and be a dad. And I'm working towards that process now uh, where I have that same ability to do that. And it, it, it really goes into like eating right and, and taking care of yourself. And a lot of that happens because you're doing long hours or I'm doing long hours. And then when I get home, the kids still want to spend time with me. And so they're not concerned that you just spent 15 hours working just so we can have, you know, Internet or tablets or food or anything like that. Because what they really want is you. And so you have to find right. a way to make all of that work. And that's a really important distinction because I think that when you're working so hard and, and out in the world and doing what you need to do to provide for the family, a lot of people would say, well, that is for the family, but you're making that distinction that it is for the family. And obviously we wouldn't have these things that we need to survive without the work I do, but also 
they need that other emotional and presence, you know, that emotional component in the presence, which is a lot of work sometimes when you're tired. It is. It, it is, especially my my three-year-old, he's a small fella, <laughs> but my six-year-old is very, very tall for his age. Mm-hmm. And both of them, they want to do, uh, they want to do horseback rides with daddy. So I got to <laughs> get down on all four. And then um, they want, they want me to pick them up and put them on my shoulder so they can touch the ceiling and all these different kind of things. And, and one of the things that's like really special, but it's hurtful at the same time, my children, and this started with my oldest, I, um, I'll get home maybe midnight sometimes, and my wife will put the kids to bed, 9 o'clock, 8 o'clock. Whatever time, it doesn't matter. They'll stay in the room, and they'll lay down, and they'll stay awake until I get home. And they rush down the steps and give me a hug, and I have to go lay down with them in their room. And then they go right to sleep, oh. and then I get to leave out. So it's like it doesn't even matter what's <laughs> going on. Like, I know that my kids are up. Like, it doesn't matter what time you put them. They're up. And, in fact, just last night, my oldest said, Daddy, um, Mommy said to go to sleep. We was in the room. But I didn't go to sleep, Daddy. I didn't go to sleep. I waited until you got here. <laughs> and so I had to go upstairs with them, you know, and lay down with them for a little bit. And so it's like a stuff like that where you're walking in the door at 12 o'clock and you may have had to be at work or me being at work at 7. And... You come home and you get that. It's like that right there in itself, it gives you the energy to do a little bit. But as soon as they see me, you know, they go right out and then we just move forward from there. Figure out what's good. It's really so sweet. It's always been like that for us. My aunt, my aunt Alvinia, she always used to say, uh, you better not go in there and put and let that baby in your bed because as soon as you do that, he ain't never going to leave. <laughs> and they never left. And like like literally, like maybe six months ago, the three-year-old just stopped coming into our room. And we so we actually caught him one night. <laughs> Me and my wife happened to be up, and it's like 3 o'clock in the morning, and we hear some creeping into the room. And so we had our eyes closed, and the three-year-old peeped into the room, went back, peeped into the room, went back, peeped into the room again. And when he confirmed that we were asleep, he ran to the side of the bed, and he got up on to the pillows and then squeezed them between us. Uh, so it was pretty cool that, yeah, they're, they're always with us. And, and I, I don't mind. I really enjoy those moments. I, I want to try to be with them as much as I can. Yeah. Like everybody who knows me, uh, I always tell them, always make sure that my kids know that daddy loves them. You know, you never know what's going to happen. And I just really want them to know that. And so I probably smother them a little bit because I give them hugs all the time. The three-year-old, he's always running because, you know, I'm about to ask for a hug. <laughs> but then when they want to give me a hug, they do it. Like we do something called hug time. And it came from us watching a Trolls movie where they always had a certain time they do hugs. Aww. And if I say that, then the three-year-old will say, Josiah, Josiah, hug time. Or they'll do a vice versa and they run up and, and, and the whole family has to give a group hug. So we just try to make sure that we love them, especially since I'm not there, you know, as much as I want to be right now while they're young. I want to just like pour into them as much as possible. Yeah. So this this makes me really wonder a lot about how you were raised and what kind of relationship you had growing up with your father. Um, so my uh, my relationship with my dad is kind of uh, <clears throat> it's kind of uh, awkward in the sense of we had a good relationship, but we didn't. And, and it's not a bad thing when I say we didn't. What I mean is when I was six years old, my mother passed away. Mm. And when my mother passed away, so I thought 
I thought that I was the reason why my mother passed away for about three years, three, four, five years. And the reason why I thought that is because one day I asked my mother for some chewing gum and the gum dropped into her cereal that she was eating. Mm -hmm. So she had to go downstairs and make a new bowl of cereal. Mm -hmm. When she was going downstairs to make a new bowl of cereal, she fell down the steps. She went to the hospital and came back in a, in, in, um, in, a, in a cast around her neck. And to me, mm-hmm. I was the reason why all of this happened mm-hmm. because right after she came home from the hospital, a few weeks later, she passed away. But the thing was, what was nobody there, what told me. What was the reason me, why she passed away? She had, so the same cancer that my sister, uh, Miriam, had that beat it. Mm-hmm. She had uh, triple negative breast cancer, or I, I don't want to say it wrong, triple or double negative breast cancer, and she had a tumor. <gasps> but me being six... Nobody told me what was going on. A lot of times adults try to hide stuff from the children and and it actually doesn't really help all the time. So no one told me what was going on. I just knew my mother passed away and I knew right before she passed away, I dropped gum in her cereal. And I knew that when I did that, she fell down the steps. She came back from the hospital and now she's gone. I clearly did this. And so... I went through that whole period, and it was very, very hard for my father. She actually passed away in their bedroom in his arms. So my father actually didn't even sleep in the bedroom for like the next 15 years or so. So that became me and all my sister's room. And so I didn't realize it until I was older that uh, my church and, and my family and those around us, they really, really, really played a big part in that village because my dad really wasn't well for a while and they helped out. I used to go to my cousin Craig's house every weekend. I used to go to my best friend David's house and then my friend Jared's house. And then I would go to my friend Jamal's house. And I just felt like I was having such a great time as a child going to everybody's house. But I didn't realize the reason why I was going to everybody's house and why the adults were accepting it is because they knew my father was struggling with the death of my mother. So a lot of times I might not have been around my dad. And then me being the youngest out of six children, there also wasn't a whole lot of like uh, attention on me with doing certain things with being the youngest. And, And man, my dad, he really, really, really took it hard. And... Did your father, so your father and your mother were in love? My father, my mother, they did very, very well. My father used to write commercials for people. He used to have his own radio show. Uh, He he was the owner of it. He used to be on TV teaching real estate. Like the house that we had in South Philadelphia, uh, two a couple years before he passed away, he sold it for about $200,000. He bought that house for, I believe... $800 or $600 or something like that. So he was, you know, he practiced what he preached. And they did so many great things. My family was always traveling. It's funny, like we had a story where me and my sisters was in a swimming pool and my dad was at the swimming pool with us at the hotel. And this guy kept looking at us and kept looking at us and kept looking at us. And it was the middle of the week. And when my dad stepped away to take a phone call, the person came over and he said, excuse me, what do your father do for a living? And my older sister, uh, Debrina, said, he makes us clean our room. 
That's what we knew as children. <laughs> but this older gentleman who had to come over and access was actually Wolf Blitzer. And this is the we were in the same hotel with him. So it was so much cool stuff happening. But I came in at the tail end of it because I was the youngest and my mother passed away. So he stopped. So I used to actually go to the studio with my father all the time when he recorded his radio shows. But once my mother passed away, he started doing it in the house and it just kind of dwindled down until he just stopped doing it all together. So... Our relationship, it was it, it was different because I loved my father. My father loved me, but I wasn't really home a whole lot. I just knew that I was always hanging out and being mm-hmm. other places, mm-hmm. but I had no idea what was going on. And I don't know, maybe there was a mental shift in the process of how to raise a son because his wife just passed away and who knew when it can happen to you. And so, and actually, this is my first time thinking about it now that I'm sitting here talking to you, actually, because my father will wake me up in the middle of the night and will have me try on suits. And I would be like, oh my gosh, why is he waking me up? I'm tired. And he'd be like, Sam, come in the room and and and, and try this suit on. And he would go with me as a child. This is a double-breasted suit. This is a single-breasted suit. This is how you know if it's good quality. This is how you know if it's bad quality. And he would take the shirts and he would ball them up in my back to see how they fit. Take the suits and ball them up in my back to see how they fit. And let me know that, hey, if you have a nice shirt with a bad collar, it can look cheap. But if you take a cheap shirt, and you put collar stays in it and give it a nice collar, it will look very expensive. And I'm like, why are you telling me all of this? Like, I'm trying to go to bed. I'm, I'm, I'm a little kid. But I realized it was a whole lot of things that he was instilling in me to make sure that I knew what to do. And my dad taught me so much without even saying I'm teaching it to you that I didn't even realize everything that was taking place. Like, my wife was pregnant with our second child. We were on the expressway. We were on 95, actually. And... We caught a flat tire, and I'm sitting on the side of 95, and we were trying to call AAA. I didn't want to call my father because I knew he was going to try to come help. And we had to call him because we actually didn't have our AAA, so we had to call my father, use his AAA. And I said, if we call him, I know he's going to get out of bed and try to help. And at this point, my father was a very, very ill uh, person as far as his health. So I said, you know what? I can't have him come out here because I know he's going to try. And then instantly I remembered, oh, wait. We do have a jack in the back of the car. So we hopped out the car. Uh, my wife held the flashlight for me. And my my youngest, we gave, or my oldest, we gave him a tablet while we went outside and I fixed the tire. And I just thought how, how powerful that was because I remember I was 12 years old when my father showed me how to, I was 32 when I changed it, but I was 12 years old when my father showed <laughs> me how to change a flat tire. And I remember I was in the middle of the uh, street on, Car- on Carpenter Street, 22nd and Carpenter in South Philly. And I remember playing with a basketball. And I remember the seven bus coming down the street. And I remember my father calling me and he had a suit on. And he called me over to the side and said, I need to show you how to change a tire. And again, a kid, are you kidding me right now? I'm, I'm playing basketball. You're trying to show me how to change a tire. <laughs> but that was the first time and the last time a man or anyone has ever showed me how to change a flat tire. I did not use that knowledge until I turned 33. And once I got done changing the tire, I just sat back and I was like, wow, all the gifts that you get to give somebody that can really live on past you. Like my father taught me at 12 years old how to change a flat. I didn't use it until I was 33. And my, and I didn't realize it because my wife was like, who taught you how to change a tire? Because she know I don't really deal with cars and things like that. And I was like, my dad did when I was 12. 
But I didn't think about that. I just knew I knew how to change it. So it's like, it, it was just phenomenal. He did a whole, whole lot mm-hmm. of teaching and things. You said that he was, um, he was not well at that point. Was he, was he sick with an actual disease or was he just getting older and weaker? No, uh, actual disease. So when my mother passed away, I don't know if he already had it or if, or if life gave it to him through stress. But my father wound up having diabetes and he was sick for many, many years. And it started after my mother passed away and he would hide it from us. I didn't know my dad was sick for a very long time until my sisters were talking about it. And I realized he was sick, but he didn't tell us. And his work ethic didn't say that he was sick. His work ethic didn't say that he was sick. So I had no idea. Um, So my father, you know, at the time when I changed his tire, you're talking about my father had diabetes. He had uh, gangrene in his bones. So he had two toes cut off. He had liver damage. He was having blood, blood, um, blood problems. And he was having like this chronic cough. It was so many different things going wrong Mm -hmm. with my father. But that never uh, stopped. You know, when when your father passed, um, you were 32, yes. right? I'm curious because your your sisters have a long longer time. They had a longer time with your mom, and they had a longer time with your father. Was your father? Did do you feel like any of your kids really knew your father, or some of your siblings had a better sense of who he was than you did? I don't know. I don't think they had a better sense of who he was than me. Um, uh, my father, everything he did was, was all about legacy. My my father was actually working on a chess game that he was trying to get, a brand new chess game he was trying to get patent before he passed away. It was all about legacy. Everything that he did was about legacy. Um, and, and we knew that. I knew that. Um, me being an entrepreneur, like when I say I got a lot, there's a book that I'm working on that um, I didn't put out yet. I've been working on it for like some time now because it was just important to me. But in the in the um, dedication page, I put that this book is dedicated to my father because he thinks that the way that I think and the way that I am is because of all of these millionaires and successful people that I'm around now that are teaching me about entrepreneurship. But the truth is they're only enhancing what was already there. I spent the last 25 years learning everything I am and what to do from my father. Do you think he was satisfied with what his life had been when he was at the end? Do you think do you think he was proud of you guys, you and your sisters? Yes, very much so. Uh my father actually he was ready to he was ready to pass away a couple years ago. So it's t- 2020. My father passed away 2019. He passed away July 4th. He was okay with going, and he said out his own mouth that all of my children know how to take care of themselves, and all of them know how to produce for themselves, and most importantly, my family sticks together. He always said, no matter what happens, you make sure you stay with your sisters. No matter what happens, you make sure you stay with your brothers, and and everybody just stay together and help each other no matter what. And he knew all of his children are adults now have our own families, have our own houses, our own everything. And he know that we're still together. He know that we're still close. And he know that if all of us lose our job today or tomorrow, that we'll still be able to provide and produce 
because we know how to fish versus being fed fish. And so he was okay with leaving. It wasn't until me and my, my, my wife went to him and we said, hey, we have a surprise for you. And we went to go see him to his face and we said, we're getting married. And when we said we were getting married, Ronnie, you literally saw life breathe back into him in 2012. Because he was about to go, I mean, 2011. He was about to go in 2011. He didn't pass away in 2019. And he said, really? And he said, I would like to play the piano at your, at your wedding. My dad was a great musician. And he said, I would like to play the piano at your wedding. And he started getting his health together because, man, his baby boy Sam's getting married and I got to play the piano. Then we wound up having our first child. And now I got to stay healthy to see Josiah. And then another one of my sisters got married. And then another one of my sisters got married. And then one, my, one of my sisters who got married wound up having their first child. My dad has so much to keep living for that it actually extended his life. And it just now, you know, last year it got to the point where these things took place and he passed away. And how was that for you to lose him? Um, so I didn't know it was as hard as it actually was. Um, I, I, I was going through a whole lot when he passed away. Didn't realize it. Did not know how connected to my father uh, I was. For two things. One... My father was the strongest person I know. And it's, it's hard saying that type of statement because people say, oh, of course it was your father. Like, no, my father mm -hmm. was the strongest person I know. And if we put 10 people in the room, they'll say my father was the strongest person that they knew. You know, very, very ill. He still handled his business. He still got up. You know, the doctor saying you need to be home both feet going to get cut off if you did this, 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 all of these different things. And he kept working. He kept pushing to provide. Like I said, I didn't know he was sick until somebody else told us. I was in the hospital with him when the doctor came into the room. I was in the bathroom, so the doctor didn't know that I was in there. And he came in and said, Mr. Burwell, can I come in? Came in. I just want to let you know that your results came back. And unfortunately, you haven't... Um, liver damage and, and, and you're having some kidney damage and you're going to actually need a kidney from somebody. You might want to consider talking to your children about it and figuring it out. Otherwise, you might not be able to make it. And I came out the bathroom maybe two minutes later and I just fake flushed the toilet and, you know, just moved on as if I didn't hear anything. And he never said nothing to me. He never said nothing to none of my sisters about it. And he was like, I'm not going to do that because they need to live their lives. And we technically, quote unquote, did not find out until the doctor said something to one of my sisters. Then it became family information. And he just knew he needed to get out of the hospital and just keep going. Uh, last year before he passed away, we were down in Atlanta and my father, he 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 got really, really big in the, in the face and I had to take him to the hospital. And we had obligations to take care of the next day in Atlanta. And the doctor said, you need to do dialysis. And he refused to do it because he knew if he did it, he might not be able to do what we came down to Atlanta to do. And everybody was trying to get him to, to handle his business and do it. We got to the hospital six, five o'clock in the evening on Saturday. I was supposed to be driving back home on Sunday to Philadelphia. And I was just thinking like, I'm in the hospital with him from five o'clock. We're in there all night long. He finally didn't do anything until the doctor came in and said, listen, this is where your potassium um, potassium's levels are. This is where they should be. At the point you are now, 
You should have died already. We actually don't even know why you're still alive. So you need to do this procedure. And he refused to do it because he knew he had his obligations to do on Sunday. And the doctor said, listen, I respect that. But if you don't do this, you won't be allowed to do it tomorrow. That's the only reason why he went through with the procedure. And so now we didn't leave out the hospital till five o'clock in the morning. And I'm just thinking how tired I am and I can't do this on Sunday. And I'm just so weak and just like, I, I just need to rest. I don't know. We got to figure this out. We get back to the hotel five o'clock in the morning and I call my dad around 10 o'clock to check on him. And he already bathed and was already up and was already getting ready. And I was like, oh my gosh, like how can I complain right now? And I had to get up and do what I needed to do. Like, so when I tell you like the strongest, and that's just one story, the strongest person I know, that is the strongest person I know. And one day when he had to go to the hospital, he refused to go because he knew if he went, he might not come out. And you actually saw him being afraid. And I realized how connected to my father I was when he started freaking out on my sister and started yelling about not wanting to go to the hospital because we was calling the ambulance outside of his, his authority too. And I just thought, man, like he's scared of something. And immediately I felt weak. When my father showed that he was scared of something, I immediately felt like whatever armor I had was taken down and anybody who wanted me could have gotten me. And I was just like, that is just such a powerful thing. And I was happy to feel weak because that let me know how connected I was to my father. Seeing that my father was weak, it was just like, wow. And that was like such a, a traumatic moment. And then now, last year in July, my father passed away. This past year was like one of the hardest years for me ever. So to paint a picture, I, 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 I'm doing my brand, which is Diamond My Results, and doing positive content with that. I started a, 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 another organization called Inner Oasis with Jason and Charlene, uh, Jason Ferguson and Charlene Williams. Those are my partners. And we teach Tai Chi and yoga. And I am actively teaching Tai Chi for... Um, for an organization, every Friday I'm doing classes. I'm doing the classes, Jason's doing classes, Charlene's teaching the yoga, and we rocking and rolling. I'm just so excited and proud to show my father that I got an LLC and we're actually getting paychecks and this is working. And, and, and I got Diamond My Results building up and Diamond My Results is, is, is in the lane where he was at with, with personal development and branding and just doing great things for people and having positive content. My father created an LLC before he passed away called Positive Media Content for us to have an legacy being passed out. And so I was just so hyped and excited about telling him these things. Then I wound up being connected with another organization that actually teaches Tai Chi to veterans around the country. It's free for the veterans. We get paid by the government because now they're respecting Tai Chi as an actual form of therapy to help heal with trauma and physical issues. And I remember we had to go to the hospital on Wednesday and they said, hey, Y'all need to have a family meeting with the doctor because your father's not going to make it past the weekend. So we went to the hospital to have this meeting. And the doctor said, listen, he's not going to make it. We need to know what to do. Well, all my dad did was talk about coming home, coming home, coming home, coming home. So we said, listen, tomorrow we bring him home and we let him pass away at home because that's what he wanted to do. On July 4th, we brought him home. And a couple hours later, he passed away. I thought that I was okay. I thought that I was fine. 
and I thought that I was making it through, I would bring my notepad, I would bring my laptop, I would bring my whole briefcase, like, because I work a lot of hours. So, like, thankfully, both jobs that I have, they support me with trying to be an entrepreneur, so they give me room to do what I need to do. Like, so I'm super, super thankful for both of my, my jobs that I have. And I remember I would bring my stuff to work every single day, bring it to work, and I wouldn't do nothing. And then I would take it home, and i say, okay, tomorrow. And I would bring it to work, and I wouldn't do nothing. And I would bring it home, and I would bring it to work, and wouldn't do nothing. People say, hey, are you okay? Yeah, I'm cool. Are you sure? Yes, I'm, I'm fine, totally. I didn't realize it, how fine I wasn't. Uh, a, a friend, a, long, a, um, a long-term friend of mine, his name is Anthony Beander, but we'll call him Tone because he'll be upset with me if we say Anthony. He's <laughs> 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 a good friend of mine's Tone. He's actually the production house that that does all of our work. So any pictures outside of cell phone pictures that you'll see of our media, any videos that you see, um, Tony and Toya, his wife, they are our production house. They do all of our work. And he popped up at my job one day, months after my father passed away, because he was like, I know something's not right, and we're not getting the same reception from him. I really wasn't recording. I really wasn't doing anything. Um, I really wasn't teaching Tai Chi. A whole bunch of stuff wasn't happening. And I just stopped. And so Tone came to my job one day. I didn't even know he was coming. He just showed up to the job and said, hey, bro. And I looked like, what? I had no idea he was coming. He said, are you okay? And then in that moment, I felt like crying, but I couldn't do it. And I was just like, holy crap, I'm not okay. Now, I didn't realize this because one of the things that was profound about it was the day that they told us your father's not going to make it through the weekend was a Wednesday. I was pushing to accomplish some great things to make my father proud before he passed away, as if he already wasn't. But I just wanted to accomplish some things because my dad did a lot of great stuff, a lot of great stuff. And I remember walking out, literally walking out of the meeting with the doctor saying, your father's not going to make it. As soon as I shut the door to the family room, my phone rung. I answered the phone, and there was the owner of the program. His name is David Dorian Ross, and he's like an 11-time Tai Chi champion. He's taught uh, Tai Chi on, like, uh, PBS, I believe, like, all these different TV platforms and networks. Very, very well-known man in the Tai Chi community. And I remember getting a phone call personally from him saying, congratulations, you've been accepted to be a part of our program. And I just thought, wow. This could not have come at a better time. I literally just walked out the room and they said that my father's not going to make it past the weekend. And then you called me saying that I was accepted to do this. I was like, it's, it's just awesome. It's just such an honor. And I get to share this with him before he goes because this is the thing that I was working on. I wound up getting it, but throughout the whole process, it was a struggle for me to do everything that I needed to do to have the credentials to be part of the program. And I would consider myself to be one of the leaders involved. And I'm working with a wonderful group of people, um, you know, just being led by a good man named Marcus. And it was so many things that I just felt like I was coming short on that I wasn't reaching what I needed to reach for the organization to be able to start teaching. And it was crazy because it's like, yo, you're a leader and you know you can handle this, but you're not handling it. 
you got some credentials and paperwork you need to get done, but you can't do it. You already have your own Tai Chi company. You're already teaching Tai Chi, but yet you can't seem to get done these credentials that's necessary to teach. What the heck is your problem? And I'm going through all of this in my own head, and now I'm feeling like I'm letting the team down and all of these different things. And and we keep having meetings. And I keep telling them, like, listen, I'm not dealing with this properly. But this was, and all of this was after Tone came to my job months later, and I had to come to that realization. And I'm like, yo, I'm really not dealing with the, the passing of my father well. So this is, you know, they, they, they come to the office months later, and, and this is when Tone said to me, are you okay? And I realized that I wasn't. And so it wasn't until that point I was able to actually tell the Tai Chi family, hey, I might not really be doing well. Now, it's a struggle because I'm supposed to be the instructor, and the instructor is supposed to pull people through not doing well. I can't do that right now because I'm not doing well myself. And they said, listen, you are a human, and I don't really live up to the you're a human thing. It's real, but I appreciate that, and I hear you, but no, I'm Sam, and I'm Sam's son, and I'm supposed to be able to do this. But I couldn't. And so just knowing that I couldn't was bothering me more than not actually being able to do it because, like, I know who my father is. And if I fall short, this is going to be awful. And it was so hard. And I still struggled with putting this whole thing together with saying, hey, I can't do it. And so. So for whatever reason, I could not focus on doing anything that I needed to do with this program. And it was frustrating. So what's your experience of that grief right now, a year later? Um, so a year later, uh, I actually, so we had a family get together July 4th, 2020, um, in memory of him. And it was literally that day when I started feeling mentally better. And other people realized it because I started making phone calls I haven't made in a year. I started doing stuff. Uh, I started recording again. I started getting on the production team about having stuff happening. And they was just like, welcome back to the land of the living. And I don't know what happened, but just something clicked. And I was like, oh, I got to get over this. I got to make it happen. And I just started being able to work and put stuff together again. And then now it's just like everything that I do, I just want to make sure that my father's legacy lives on. All he said was he wanted to leave a legacy for his family. And I know I'm doing it on my end, and I know my siblings are doing it on theirs. Do you do you think your father would say he had a good life? Yes. Um, I definitely would believe my father would say he had a good life. I'm telling you that he was... In broadcasting, he did radio. He wrote commercials for people. Uh, we've actually had prince, princesses and princes from Africa inside of our house in South Philly. And they were ambassadors for where they were from. And my father was responsible for taking them around and showing them the city of Philadelphia. All of these different cool things. Literally, the, if, if anyone goes and they listen to Les Brown on YouTube and they look up the speech, you got to be hungry. The exact same scenario that he talks about is the exact same thing that happened with my father. He walked into the house one day, and I think the gas got cut off, and my he could see my mother's breath in the air when she spoke to him. And he said, Margie, I got to make a change. You did not marry me so you could live this way. And immediately he figured out what he could do. He went to a radio station, and he tried to get an opportunity. They laughed at him. They was like, yo... Do you have any experience? No. The whole nine, do you know this? No. Do you have that? No. All right, you got to get out of here. He came back, and he said the same thing to him again. And he was like, 
So if I come up with a whole show and a whole program, I'll have an opportunity. And they said, yeah, because they didn't think he would do it. He came back a week later and had a whole season of a show for the radio and had guests lined up and had sponsors. I don't know how he did it, but he had all of the stuff. And that's how he wound up getting started in, 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 in the broadcasting. And he did all of these wonderful things. And he had a wife who loved him. He loved his wife. And then he had children. And he had family support and then extended support. On top of all of these broadcasting things, he was a wonderful musician and did things like that. Then he was also great at like a lot of tech stuff. Like my father had so many gifts, I had no idea. I found out later that he was teaching at a college and he didn't even have a degree. The college gave him an honorary degree <laughs> just so he could teach because he was good at what he did. He did a lot of wonderful things, mm -hmm. but all of those wonderful things he did and never compared to who he was internally and it never went to his head. I remember he said he got to the point where he was making 50000 a month and he went to go get a Mercedes Benz. And when he went to the dealership, he touched the car handle and then he just walked away. And he was like, now that he was able to obtain it, it just wasn't as important to him anymore. Now, a couple of years mm. before he passed away, he did wind up getting a Mercedes because we was like, that's something you always wanted. Get it. He got it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and now my sister who was doing a radio show with him, she has it. But he got it right before he passed away. And it was like, you know, it wasn't necessary to him. Like he was really rich off of important things in life that that money couldn't buy. And and he, man, the way that he looked and he would smile every time he would see us, see me, see my wife, his grandchildren, my other siblings, all he wanted was his family to be together and he wanted to leave something for us. Mm -hmm. So, Sam, where can people okay. find you? So, where people can, the, the easiest way to, to find me is by going to Instagram and you could go to diamond underscore mind underscore results. If you go there, that'll be the hub for everything that we're doing because we're working on a podcast right now called The Shiftcast. And the purpose of that is just to help shift the mindsets of new entrepreneurs from going from I am limited to I am limitless and be able to accomplish the things that they want to do. So we speak to entrepreneurs on there about the struggles that they went through and how they overcame them. And so that's the podcast. And then we're also working on a documentary right now called The Shift as well. And that really follows me from not wanting to pursue as an entrepreneur to something happening and, and making my mindset change to actually start putting out there in the atmosphere what I wanted and these things started taking place, which is me pushing to do a TEDx talk and all of the people that I met along the way. So that's a, a big project that we're working on that should be coming out in 2021. So along with that, that documentary and the podcast, we have a YouTube channel and the YouTube channel is just Diamond Mind Results. And you can also reach that through either YouTube or through the Instagram channel and you'll see our logo that pops up. Mm -hmm. And and before we say goodbye, what what are what is something you really want your sons to know or understand that you really hope that they understand by the time you're done raising them? That for one, their father loved them, and I was willing. I was willing to sacrifice any little bit of things that people would call freedom, or you know, relaxation to do for them. Um, from the from the time that my wife was 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 pregnant, I had been working two jobs, and my oldest is seven, so for eight years I've been working two jobs, and. Sometimes I would cry at night about it. 
And my wife will remind me, we're doing this for a reason. And it's not always going to be this way. And they're going to have a better life. It's a small thing, but my children have internet in the house and they're able to do things that I did not have when I when I was the younger one in the house. And it's small stuff like that that like, I see their lives are already different than the way mine was. So I just want them to know that I love them. And I want them to know that no matter what a school system or anything that somebody says about you, you can accomplish that what you want to do. And you have to be able to believe in yourself and then have the right people around you to make that happen. The, the children that my, that the, the people that my children are around is all people who love Sam and who love Leah, which is their parents. It's all people who believe in the same things that we do. And if me and my wife pass away today, these people will carry on to make them great. So they gotta have the right people around them. They have to believe in themselves and, and just make sure that whatever they're doing, they be great. That is bigger than, than, than who they are. Sam, thank you so much for being my guest and for sharing your father's legacy and and all the many things that you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate that. Can I just say one last thing? Sure. Um, well, for one, thank you so much for having me. It's truly an honor. Um, this is a this is an unofficial therapy session. But I just wanted to <laughs> I just wanted to say to the people that's listening, um, whether you know I was talking about trauma or whatever it was that may sound harmful, at the end of the day. I was able to figure out what was going on, and that was through the help of Tone with coming in and saying, hey, are you okay? And then just realizing that I wasn't. So if, if you know, if people are going through stuff, the moment you can try to just have that moment of realizing that it might not be okay, you got to be willing to say it. Because I knew that I wasn't okay before Tone asked, but I didn't accept it. Because I didn't accept it, I struggled for an entire year. Because I struggled for an entire year, there's people that Diamond My Results are supposed to help that didn't get the help in the last 12 months. So as soon as we can figure out to honestly say, I might be struggling, I might be in pain, is when we can actually start healing and move forward and do what we're supposed to do. Beyond him coming and talking to you about it and you knowing, was anyone else trying to give you a nudge or check in with you that way on that deeper level? Yeah, my sisters were, my wife was, um, and and I, I would shut my wife down immediately because I knew what would happen. She'd be like, hey, are you okay? And she'd be like, listen, she told me one day, she said, listen, your father wasn't my father. He became my father when we got married. And I cried when he passed because that's how important he was to me. So I know you're not okay. So that's fine if you want to seem like you're cool. But when you're ready to talk, I'll be here. And she knew it. But I knew that if I, the, every time she asked me, I was ready to cry. And I knew that if I said something out the first word, I just didn't feel like crying. I didn't want to, like, just know. So, yeah, I'm straight. Just, I got it. I figured it out. But I wasn't able to. Mm, so you knew and how much it affected you, but you just had this idea that you didn't want to cry. Yeah, I can make it. I can keep going. Huh. Yeah, I can make it. I can keep going. And because of that, and that's where that realization is, you have to be willing to accept it. Because I wasn't willing to accept it. Other people other than me sacrificed for a whole entire year. Were you? Do you think you were afraid that you weren't going to pick yourself up again? Okay, I knew that I would be able to pick myself back up. However, if I accepted the fact that I wasn't okay, and if I was willing to cry about it, that means I was willing to accept the fact my father wasn't here, and I would have to journey through the feelings of him being gone, and I wasn't mm -hmm. ready to do that. Mm -hmm. So you kind of put the stopper on it. Right. Yeah, we'll wait till I'm 60, then we can think about my dad passing. <laughs>
But then did you notice in other parts of your life at all that things weren't flowing? I mean, if when you when you put sort of a stop on this one part of your emotional life, did it affect others? Um, I was numb to it all, but I can say that I'm sure that it did. For example, when I get done this podcast with you, I'm going to go home. and I'm going to be super excited and super vibrant. And I'm going to have so much fun in life with my wife and my children. Like when I come home from practicing Kung Fu, my wife says, you're always different when you come back home. We just recorded a podcast yesterday. I was super hyped and excited. So when you operate and, and what you're supposed to be doing in life, you can give more to people. Because you're putting that good stuff in to be able to put it out. When you're not doing it, it's hard to do it. When you're not operating in a place you're truly happy from and doing it, it's hard to do that. So the only thing I had to keep me going was the family and everything like that. Otherwise, I could have lost it all together. Uh, but that's, you know, that's, that's, that's how it is. So those things, it really, like, you know, pushes forward. If they weren't there, it probably would have been different. Because the family was there, I was able to continue and move on and, and move forward. But... Because I wasn't operating, I'm sure that there was another level that I could not get to. Yeah. Well, I feel like I want you to go home and see that cute little family of yours. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I hope that um, you have a really good day with your family. And thanks again for being my guest. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode and other interviews you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can also find And Then Everything Changed on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like this podcast, please do share it with your friends and take a minute and rate and review so that others can hear these stories too. Thanks for listening.